Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. Man, I'm so excited today because I've been thinking a lot about the way that you break down being the emotional and rational favorite. And what it means to walk through this process when you do the wants, the impacts, the needs, the solution. The wants and the impact makes you the emotional favorite. The need and the solution makes you the rational favorite. And we've referenced that a few times. But here's why I love it. Because when most people develop content, and I'd be curious if you've seen this to be true in the leadership field, so I'll connect it. They develop content out of what they need. So if somebody has a natural proclivity to learn how to be the rational favorite, and they have a breakthrough insight then they create sales training around being the emotional favorite. Or if they know how to build a persona in a way that emotionally resonates, then they create content about being the rational favorite. But a true master level approach to something always addresses the yin-yang of things, right? So in the leadership world, tons of people talk about mindfulness because they're waking up to it. Tons of people talk about mindset. It's both and. You have to be able to be the observer and the witness to your experiences and withdraw yourself from it to be mindful, but you've got to re-engage it to upgrade the mindset. It's the yin-yang. And that is something that cracked open for me today, and I've known it uh, at an intuitive level about how our content marries together so well and why I resonated with it. But that was one more thing that I was like, oh, he captured both. So I'm asking you, and then, you know, I'd love to hear what you think about this because it's happening right now in my brain. Does that make sense that you could take somebody's sales training and really quickly deconstruct it? And it's probably on either being the emotional favorite or the rational favorite. They wouldn't use that language, but it's the epiphany they had because they were out of balance. But now they're out of balance again because they swung to the other extreme. Well, I'll tell you what, Chris. Um, first off, thank you for just blowing my brain out of my head uh, right there. I was not prepared can for I that. Can I do it? Can it go further? Or do you need to keep expressing? Uh, too much. <laughs> too much, man. Uh, go ahead. I can answer your well, question. So you I go do further. want to hear what you think about this, but this Rock is the it thing. Out, man. Like the human mind wants symmetry. That's what we want. Even in the things that we appreciate aesthetically that we call beautiful, we want symmetry. We want the both. And, you know, the brain has an amazing ability to convince itself of a reality that isn't real. And so if people grow up like from an emotional standpoint and then they become rational, they're very happy. Or if they're rational and they learn to bring back in emotion. And so, anyway, I could go on and on. But what you have, my friend, is symmetry how to be the emotional rational favorite so yeah you had a question right mm. well i you know when you said something about 
mindful versus mindset. Mindful being the observer, mindset being the doer. Um, you know, that reminded me of a lot of the challenges that sales organizations face. Uh, I can do the job, but I can't mm -hmm. teach someone to do the job. I can, I have my own predictable pattern for success, but I can't deconstruct it and communicate it and replicate it easily over and over again. I've hired good people before, but I couldn't tell you how I did it in a way to replicate success, which is why many of us default to gut. And if we're good 50% of the time, that's better than 40%. So what the hell? <laughs> so there's that, that, that kind of thing that goes on in the world. And it does require folks who have the ability to kind of identify the why behind the action or the decision, figure that out. And in the context of symmetry, dude, it's just because that's how I, it's just really how I see the world. I want, I want balance in the things I see. I want balance in, in the um, systems that I build principally because I want them to be memorable and simple. I grew up in my, in my career learning complex, crazy ass sales tips, man. I mean, you know, one of my first sales jobs, uh, I was employee 151 at a uh, venture back company in Boston. And I asked the hiring manager what, what I could do in advance of starting because I was moving from Buffalo to Boston. He said, read the book, Strategic Selling. I said, I said, great. Tell me why. It's, it's what we base our sales methodology on. Great. When I got there, they didn't base their methodology on strategic selling by Miller, you know, popularized by Miller Hyman and the company Miller Hyman. They they used the blue sheet, one component. Why? Because the friggin' system is so damn complex, you can't possibly implement it appropriately and and have a dynamic sales force execute that. So they they, they pick out bits and pieces. I needed something, Chris, that would make sense and that you could make intuitive and would just stay Dude, forefront okay, well, mind let's, without let's, a lot of heavy lifting. Break your mind, break our brains a little bit more. Uh, there's this guy that um, I pay attention to his writings on artificial intelligence. He's got some of the best stuff I've seen on it. Because, you know, how, how do they replicate the human brain and artificial intelligence? I've had the privilege of, you know, doing some coaching in, in the space of uh, employees in that world. I'm fascinated by it. Now, here's the thing, Jimmy, this is what's so cool. The, the worst way to learn something is to have the conclusion and try to work your way backward from it. Um, and so the best way to learn something, and then I'm going to illustrate it, is to be able to see the whole model and, and break it up into its parts and pieces. Example, so weird fact about me is the foreign languages I've taken for any listeners are ancient languages no longer spoken because I want to do relevant things with my life. <laughs> so when I was learning one of those languages, Hebrew, <laughs> uh, the non-spoken version, uh, we were, it was always fun too if people correct you on pronunciation. I'm like, it's a dead language. How do you know how they said it? We were taught to break the words down. Jimmy, I'm not kidding you. 
I got to the point because I had a mad scientist professor who I didn't, I didn't even have to know what the word meant. I could put it together and figure it out on my own because we learned all the parts. And what you've got with the WINS model, what I've got with our site shift leadership model, the very language, it's a model. And then you break it down into parts and pieces so you can learn it. And so that's learning happens in this immerse, immersive environment where there is symmetry. It makes sense. It's got rhythm. It's got flow. We can take the parts and pieces. We can deconstruct, reconstruct. So I think it's fascinating that you did what I did and neither of us necessarily knew that. We just got to the same place. We didn't build complicated theorems that we have to backtrack a hundred proofs out of to get people to our conclusions. It's got this intuitive right. mapping ability. There's nobody who's gone on this journey in this podcast with us that's listened to the teachings up to this point and sees the wins model and can't go, oh, that maps on to any conversation where you're trying to lead somebody to change. Right. It's, it's life. You know, it's funny what you bring up for me is, um, why the hell is that? Like, why do I think that way? And, um, I had a great lesson taught to me when I moved from, so I moved from Buffalo where I had been raised fourth generation family business restaurant, right? We're, we're, we were the big fat Greek so family. hungry. <laughs> 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 and uh, I left. I left the restaurant biz and decided to go to grad school in Boston, uh, where I met my wife and my kids were born. And then um, moved around a bit, and then uh, back to Boston. And then came here to Columbus. Now, what happens? So you go from Buffalo, parochial, you know, meat and potatoes family restaurant and family business, where all your friends are Greek. You know, everybody you hang out with is an entrepreneur. It's like very different life. You go to Boston where, you know, 30 different nationalities represented in 151 uh, employee company, very cosmopolitan. None of my jokes worked, you know, nothing worked, right? So you reinvent yourself and you become this, you use all these like $10 words and $20 words and all these acronyms and your your ability to help somebody is is judged based on whether or not you're using the acronym or the terminology of the day. And then imagine me coming to Columbus with that skill set. Nobody knew who the hell I who I was, what I was saying, what I was talking about. And I had to change on a dime. Luckily, I, I, I just had to go back to how I was raised. Simple, clear, concise. And, and, and it kind of, I kind of experienced and lived that dichotomy, you know, confusing and complex, because you're trying to make people feel like the words you use, you know, create the value in you, where when you come back to Buffalo and Columbus, it's not the words you use, it's the work you do. Do I get it? Can I roll with it? Uh, were you efficient? Were you effective? And so I, be, because I live those two worlds, Dude, that's I, awesome. I knew what I wanted to create. So here's what's it funny to, to me, man. I, like the... I remember being in college going to get my master's and I, I was like, I don't want to get so educated. I can't be helpful to people. 
when I got my doctorate, I actually called admissions and said, do I have to write the way you want me to, or can I keep a plain spoken language to not, I don't want you to ruin my ability to impact people. Like that was what I confronted them with. And, right. you know, the beginner is immersed in the topic and it's also new and it feels confusing. The pro, I think it tries to organize it, but they're making it complex. The master makes it clear and simple, right? And, and you know, you haven't finished until you get to that point. And even with me, with like Sight Shift, I remember I would go to coffee shops for days, like the days I couldn't get a sub job. So this is, you know, 13, 14 years ago. The, and I, it was all cooking up in me. I was trying to figure it all out and recognize the pattern and study it and shrink it down to the small actions. The days I couldn't get the sub jobs, I'd go to this coffee shop. I'd just work on it all day. And I'd come back home and I'd show my wife. I remember I showed her one time and she was like, I don't get it, right? I'm like, oh, I'm not there yet. And it was this process. And you can just see that in the way that it walks people through the winds, emotional favorite, ra rational favorite. And here's the question I have for you. Being Greek, you have to correct me on this if I'm wrong. Do they like falafel? Because I know it's more Middle East. <laughs> we, I mean, we, it's, yeah, Middle East, a lot of Greek food is, uh, has Middle so, Eastern roots. Yeah, Trader so Joe's has love an amazing falafel. falafel, by the yeah. way. I'm throwing that out for you and all the listeners. <laughs> they just upgraded their recipe and it's very, very wonderful. And I've had a falafel yeah. in Israel and it was yeah, amazing. My, so. Yeah, my, one of my best friends, uh, in the world, uh, who I haven't seen in, I have not seen face to face in 20 years, um, is, uh, Lebanese and, uh, his wife used to invite us over to, to dinner and man, oh, yeah. I mean, the food is so similar, right? I would just, it would, I was in heaven cause everything's ho homemade. Everything's just beautiful. And, and the table is, you know, overflowing with, uh, with, with just goodness. So, yeah. So, I mean, what we all mm. love is to eat. Yeah. And eat wonderful food. Don't and you, we love to cook this is something, for each other. People that hunt for their own food <laughs> and are in sales or builders, you know, at the level that we've done, don't you think they like to eat more? Because there's like so much satisfaction from it. It's like this <laughs> this is connected viscerally to my you know, my abilities and what I've done in the world. Adds adds layers. Where do you see people get yeah. <laughs> uh, tripped up in applying? You know, we're we're breaking into new content. I know as we move into further episodes today, we're we're just making sure that people get yeah. the beauty, the symmetry, the simplicity of becoming the emotional and rational favorite. Where do you see people get tripped up in becoming the emotional favorite? What are the ditches or pitfalls they fall into? And then maybe we could do the same with rational. Oh man. It's great stuff. Yeah. I think, um, the th the way that I would word what you said is, um, you know, last time we spoke, we talked about the universal buying cycle. And the idea is if you understand how people buy, then you can lead them to where they want to go. You can be the ultimate servant leader. You can serve a shared goal and you can lead them down or walk along with them uh, that shared path to change. But how do you turn that now into a sales process? That's the big thing. So how do you go from the understanding the buying cycle to now executing a sales process? And um, to your point, I mean, it's now you can start thinking about, okay, great. How do I move this person along? Um, and, and again, 
we're we're replicating the buying cycle. So it's what it's 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 the path that the buyer must go down to make a successful buying decision. So we are after mutual success here, hence the reference to server leadership. Um so the first thing we have to do when you're thinking about identifying what somebody wants, right? We want to, we did talk about this idea of expanding their vision. So is, so when someone says, I want this, a great way to think mm. in your mind is, is that all? Is there anything more? And how do you do that? Well, if you know their industry, know their business, know what's happening around them, you know what opportunities exist, you know what um, risks exist and you can expand their vision with the insights that you bring to the table. A lot of people call this thought leadership. I just call it, you know, being a great, uh, value creator. And so you can expand their vision. Now, after you've done that, how do you become the emotional favorite? Ask them, what would it feel like? What would it feel like to be there, to have what you want? And then shut the hell up and let them talk. But the key word is, what does it feel mm, like? I love that. For me, when I think about endorsing an approach that appreciates and sinks its teeth into feelings, I know that you lose people on that. But the problem with it is it's the symmetry, <laughs> right? I mean, it's the head and heart of it. The emotional favorite's about being the heart piece. The rational favorite's about being the head piece. And uh, now the problem for people right. that have followed their heart for a long time and that lose the head, right? That's the symmetry piece of it. Um, yeah. I mean, because there are right. times that I know I've processed situations with you that I have, the heart piece has been super strong. And then you introduce a rational head piece and I'm like, oh, yes. So I, I think even in my yeah. own, yes, yes, I'm yes. out of out of balance in the sense that the heart part of me is stronger than the head part of me. And that's what I need to work on. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the reverse is true for many people as well. So, you know, the, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to say this to put the listener, anyone listening in a bucket and say, you can't get out of this bucket, right? This is just um, experience. And to just, just to kind of give everyone who's listening, maybe a chance to think about, whether what I'm going to say is true or not. But, you know, what we find are the, the folks who are super rational often make the worst salespeople, just like people who are super empathetic mm. often make They're some of the of worst salespeople. What do I mean? Yeah. When you, yeah, exactly. You're out of balance. So like, like the, if just think about like a technical pro, a super rational engineer, um, even a super skilled designer, who, you know, those folks are invested in the what, what they do. They're invested in the rational side of what they create or can create. They mm. oftentimes just want to focus on that. And they don't want to focus on the human being that they're speaking to and their reaction, their response mm. to the words that are coming out of their mouth. So oftentimes the most boring people to listen to are people who are, you know, you know, giving you, you know, uh, verse like an engineer, monotone. I'm just going to get the stuff out of my mouth and give you the data. But there, I'm not giving it to you in a way that you can get excited about it. You can that entertains you or that or that connects with you. 
or engages you. And so we, we oftentimes as human beings don't, you know, we don't go to those kinds of folks. Like think of the professor at school, the academic who puts you to sleep every, every, every time you had class. We don't want to be that person. So if you're thinking about where do you fit and are you in balance, just think about the extreme. Take the way you're behaving to the extreme hmm. and you can start to see, oh, shit, that's not going to work. Too, too rational, too focused on the bits and bites or too emotive, too... Uh, empathetic. I understand you so much. I'm going to get into the ditch with you and become part of the problem. I'm not going to stand up outside the ditch and pull you mm. out of that, out of that problem. So yes, we have to have that balance. And every time we have a, communica- a, a conversation with a buyer, we want to have that balance in the conversation. So what do you think keeps people that have been effective at sales from being able to pull back and really analyze what they're doing that's well, um, you know, because they, they would be such a resource to their organization. Well, I think uh, it, 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 to me, it comes down to motivation. What moves you? Uh, could Tiger Woods, you know, the, the greatest or one of the greatest, depending on how you measure his career, golfers in in the history of the game could he end up being a good coach it really just depends on his motivation right right now he's focused on being a great player um what would it take to become a great coach you have to be you have to shift your mindset from um perfecting your game and winning at your game and understanding you to become a great coach, you have to be really more focused, not, not focused on your own success, but focus on someone else's success. There is a 180 degree shift in your priority. Uh, same thing, I think, for any salesperson or any practitioner who is an expert or a high achiever, you have to shift from you know, perfecting your craft in executing the job or the task or the role that you're superior at to now trying to figure out... <laughs> why you are for the sake of somebody else. You have to become invested in someone else becoming great, which Mm -hmm. is why most salespeople who are great become crappy managers because they never change their mindset. They never change their, their thought process or their priority to being not about them. It's about the people who they bring onto their team. How do I make you better? And not just as a as lip service, but as a real investment of time and effort and energy in figuring that out. How did you make that shift? Ah, you mean from being uh, the ultimate asshole to <laughs> being somebody who loves to coach and, and develop people? Well, uh, yeah. So I think <laughs> hearing your origin story, and I know we, we've shared it here before, which you just referenced. So there was a deep change in who you are as a person which is the best answer, and it's the only answer that matters, but any practical things that you did to, to pull yourself out of just living it and, and observing yourself that might help others learn to observe themselves and where they're out of balance being the emotional or rational favorite. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, so let's not make this about me, but I think the thing... Um, the, 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 
the idea in sales, right? The, the shift that I had to make as a salesperson, let's just say, was for 15 years and before, right? Everything was about me. How do I extract the most value from every conversation that I have, whether it's with a friend or um, a potential buyer or business associate, associate? It was about me, one, not getting screwed, and two, me making sure that I got more out of it than they did. It was always about, you know, driven by that scarcity mentality that said I had to win. It was a zero-sum game every time. And so that made me, in some contexts, extremely successful, uh, which is why I point to, you know, Alec Baldwin and Glengarry Glenn Ross all the time, right? Mm-hmm. My watch is worth more than your car. Coffee's for closers. All of that is egocentric scarcity, insecurity that drives someone to become super successful. Um, and that's what was driving me for 15 years. And it and finally it hit a head and I couldn't, I just couldn't function and I had to shift. But in the midst of facing that had to shift, I also discovered, whoa, how much more effective could I've been over those 15 years if I showed up really actually curious and interested in the person I was selling to, the person I was uh, purportedly helping. So Chris, it's really just, it's just a mindset shift as salespeople. You can get everything you want in life and in your career by shifting your focus, not just a hundred percent serving because when we're serving, we are not what, you know, when there's none of us in the conversation, we're out of balance. But if you can serve and lead, if you can put the other person first and then lead them down the path that you both want to go for that mutual gain, you can be successful. Now, the deeper lesson that we're talking about here is, ah, oh, emotional favorite, wants and impacts. When we get to the agreement, the first agreement to what they want, the answer to why change, we can ask them, how would it feel? Or how do you feel now after having come to that agreement? Oh, amazing. Then we can talk about impacts. The second agreement, which is the impact is the answer to why change. We can say, how would it make you feel to have that? Or how does this vision now that we painted for you uh, resonate? What would it mean to you? This is me, Chris, taking a next level interest in my client. Next level interest in really understanding the, the uh, what's motivating them. Not because I want to manipulate them and sell them, right? Any, any tool can be used for evil. This is me being sincerely interested and having patience and, and making sure that, that, you know, recognizing that I'm not going to go anywhere without this person. So yeah. Let's get connected. And yeah. in, the, in the process of doing that, Chris, right, uh, we build a bond that, that transcends any relationship they may have with a competitor. And it's it, that bond is emotional and rational. And so this is for me a way that's popping up in my heart head to express this. If you go to the gym and you do a holistic whole body exercise long enough in the right way, the right form, it develops the imbalances in your body, the inconsistencies. It, it fixes the things that are off from working out something too much or not working out something enough. 
And what happens with the four agreements walking through the wins model is it's going to develop. And I know you're talking about the experience, you know, on the other side, the person that you're connecting with, but also for the person doing that leading, the challenge that you embrace when you put yourself through the paces of this process, you're developing the things that are weak, the imbalances, the things that don't have symmetry. <laughs> wow. Well said. Whole body. Yeah. Whole body. Yeah. I mean, it's, and so in that context, Chris, it's really a model. It's, it's really a leadership model that transcends sales. It goes well beyond sales. You know, I get, I tell stories about, you know, working with my, my, my daughter. Um, it is a, it's a methodology for mass, the mastery of change in any context. It's the, it's the model for the, for driving growth in any context in our lives, which is why it, it marries so well with the leadership uh, work that you do. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. Another fun day with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. Yes. And connect with me. Check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.